and while it was trained, when it came to be called upon, that imagined stoicism, the theoretical courage, not a trace of it was left. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast with me, your host, Austin Yoakum. On this episode of the podcast, we have Flynn Disney. Flynn is a professional parkour athlete and coach where he works to embody and apply research in movement and psychology. In this podcast, Flynn takes us down the rabbit hole of how we can move beyond fear and why this is so important. His approach to skill acquisition and breakthroughs in the parkour world and how the brain's perspective of the world rules all of this. Flynn was one of the deeper thinkers we've ever had on this podcast, and he takes us down some massively deep and psychological rabbit holes that really take us well past sets and reps. So I hope you guys enjoy. I hope you guys are having a very Merry Christmas and a great holiday season. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for the continued support. Keep chopping wood. Before we hit the intro music, I wanted to introduce to you guys the Yoakum Strength Insider. The Yoakum Strength Insider is our online training platform that takes all of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast and implements them into a program that is available to you at the touch of your fingers. Our goal with the Yoakum Strength Insider is to create better movers, to level up your life, and to move forward from where you are. We do this in a holistic fashion. Not only will you receive a program that has helped hundreds of people become better movers, you'll also receive access to our app that allows you to track everything, has video links for all exercises, and allows you to be in constant communication with a Yoakum Strength coach. Along with this, you'll get our 30-page PDF nutrition and lifestyle guidelines that includes everything from what to eat, how much of it to eat, why we're eating it, meditation habits, and other lifestyle habits that we implement with our clients to really level up their lives. If you're interested in trying out one of these programs, use Podcast 25 in the discount section right before you pay for 25% off your first program. Boom. This is the Yoakum Strength Podcast. Take the leap down the rabbit hole with us as we interview elite level guests to unravel what high performance really is. Well, Flynn, welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, we were just we were just geeking out about kind of the parkour world and the inspiration that I kind of draw from the parkour world for the American sports that we work with currently. Um, I'm interested in how you got into the parkour world because in the states it's pretty rare to get into this parkour world. Like it's it's still pretty niche and like not a lot of people are talking about it. Not especially in like the traditional American like team sports settings of like if you tell somebody you're going to do parkour they think it's still like the the viral youtube videos that are like like making fun of it it's like how do you get into the actual sport of parkour how did you get into that as a passion like what was that journey like growing up yeah it's such an evolving sport you know since those very early days the first videos that i saw bared a lot of resemblance (laughs) to those kinds of like mocking videos in in a way because it was people doing backflips from rooftops and not quite knowing the the rules of the game you know if you think about parkour as a game then those the the, the the rules hadn't quite developed yet um but i i got into it um i watched one of those videos and it just struck a chord totally irrational totally uh, inexplicable you know I, I can't really justify it uh but i, I watched a video of a guy called oleg voislav who's this uh sort of creative now he's just kind of creative well i don't know what he's doing now now but if half a decade ago it was this kind of creative powerhouse but back in the day he was the guy doing like two-story uh, backflips off of these like dilapidated Russian uh, uh, bombed housing estates or whatever. But for some reason, uh, this uh, this just, you know, got my heart racing. And, and um, uh, I, I was lucky at the time that there were some people practicing 
around uh, around my kind of area. So I got in in touch with someone and and they trained me a little bit, but the the training was also extremely like rudimental not not even rudimental because rudimental has this kind of like rawness to it but to, to me like it, it it the the training itself like the, the really the experience of growing up early in parkour gave me so many uh mental blocks because there was such a um a kind of fuss made around very what would be considered now very basic movements so one of the the, the strange things like i mentioned the parkour has evolved so much and you see in only 15 years ago, which is not that long, right? The maximum kind of difficulty that was being done compared to what's happening now, it's, it's really shocking, the, the discrepancy between these two points. So when I started, if somebody did like, let's say like a Kong vault or a dash vault, that would be something kind of remarkable. Whereas now it's really something that you might learn on the first day and then, and then you're immediately kind of questioned, the space is open to move to the next thing. And so that that and that in itself is just fascinating to see how the kind of how you frame what you're doing as a teacher shapes how the student perceives their own kind of barriers and things like this. So even from the very beginning of my parkour journey, it was something that was clearly uh, psychological as much as it was physical, because you're taking all of these cues from how people respond to things. There's a social component emotional component as well as the physical yeah callum powell we had him on the podcast and he mm. was kind of talking about that 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 very same thing is like that that massive growth and he basically said the same thing you said it's like it used to be just like this we, we were just going to jump over like a park bench and now it's yeah. like turning into this like everybody's just an absolute animal and i love the way that double you flip it. precision <laughs> yeah, yeah, double, and like sticking hell? it perfectly and like it, but yeah. the, the the massive growth and you talk it, it reminded me like when you were saying it's almost like that four minute mile barrier it's like mm. once it's broken now it's like psychologically you are freed from that. And that's something that I know you talk a ton about is like psychologically freeing yourself. Mm. What is that process like? What is the process of psychologically freeing yourself like? Because something that, that one thing in the parkour community you see is like it is a community. Like Callum talked about this as well. It's like you surround yourself with like all these savages that are continually pushing the barrier and breaking things. And like that's what you're going to do. And I, I see that a lot in our in our community, too. It's And we talked about this before the podcast, but it's like you see you 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 put a gymnastics girl with a, like an American football guy. Gymnastics girls doing all these flips. And the football guy now lo no, like looks at them like, OK, a human body is physically capable of doing mm -hmm. this. Now let, let me try this, even though I'm bigger and strong, like bigger in this um, anatomically. But then then girl can look at the guy and see how strong he is and she can get stronger. But what is that kind of that barrier of breaking psychologically free of these kind of barrier, like these boxes that we kind of put ourselves in? Yeah, I mean, to, to know something, uh, to know something really means to be familiar and so I think that in, in a way, the, the knowledge that we're accumulating is very often what's keeping us tied into the past. And um, I think being able to really tangle with, uh, with potential, which is always something that's sort of unknown, requires something of a, of a step away from knowledge and a step away from the past. So to move into the future, it's very often not a matter of, of knowing more. Um, so for example, what I knew when I was younger, was the Kong vault was something really uh, special. And maybe it is in some way, but um, but what I knew was that it was something difficult. And it took me a long time to, to actually get rid of that knowledge 
Uh, and, and what I also knew was that if I ran fast, then I would get hurt. That was something that everyone else also knew at the time. Um, so you, 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 you yeah, uh, is this kind of impulse uh, to try to predict the future based on the, the, the knowledge of the past that I think can be something that really uh, holds you back. Yeah, that you you talked about there. There's so many points that I freaking love there. You talk about like breaking, breaking, breaking free of the knowledge. Like the knowledge that you have, you think kind of puts you forward. Like you would think, mm -hmm. okay, all this knowledge that I'm gaining, all the things that I'm getting would put me forward into it. But honestly, like a lot of it, like you said, does kind of as much as it does put you forward in like the the stableness of it, you kind of lose that freedom and chaos based aspect of your brain that is creative, that is allowing you to free like and approach things and there's so many examples you talked about if you run fast you're going to get hurt um growing up it was like if you move in the american world it was like if you lift the barbell this way you're going to get hurt if yeah. you bend your spine at all it's going to get hurt and like i lived that way and i kind of created that way and it was the same thing until i got out of it i was like holy crap i freed myself from that thought process that it was also like it's this thought process in your brain and the story in your brain that you're telling yourself but then you're creating it with your body like you yeah. know so it's like it's a story it's this make-believe story that you're telling yourself but you're creating that make-believe story in the real life with your body through your actions yeah. and i think that, that that's super powerful that's something that I was climbing the other day and we finally just got like a, a v5 v6 and it was the first time like in forever we got a v5 v6 and then i realized like i just made the connection okay i can do i'm a v5 v6 climber and I started mm. climbing V5, V6s then that whole day. Like I got three of them in one day. And it took yeah. me like four months. It was like, that's so stupid. Like physically, <laughs> that that is not like a jump up yeah, physically. Yeah. Like part uh -huh. of it's like the training aspect. But now now in your head, you're telling yourself the story of you're a V5, V6 climber. Yeah, and yeah. then you just start doing it. It's like these stories that you're creating in the real yeah. life. It, 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 it's Parkour is so uh, ripe for that kind of experience because yeah. there's so much potential. Like I know that I can jump about uh, 10 feet. I don't know what that is in, in American measurements, but let's say I can jump about 10 or 11 feet on the floor. If I raise myself up by two feet and then I jump, suddenly I'm jumping uh, 13 foot. If I raise myself up another foot, suddenly it's like, you know, it's it, it, it up to a point is exponential. And then let's put uh, another wall in the middle uh, and then I can use that wall to push off. And suddenly I'm clearing, um, you know, 15 foot in a, in, a, in a single jump. So it's like there's so much um, space for organizing your body that there's this um, that, that, that there's this potential for kind of non-linear progression that you were kind of mentioning there, where you 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 spend a lot of time tied into a certain like distance. But then maybe if you change your perspective, if you change your um, some some level of the system that you start to relate to your environment differently, then you might actually be able to just radically progress in, in a very short period of time. And so part of what I've been trying to do is to research some of these sort of systems, some of these elements that might actually afford this kind of non-linear progress. Uh, so a, a classic example that would be strength. So if you're physically, if, if you cut, let, let's say like day to day, like one day you just come back and you're like, you, you put like 20 kilos on your squat. This is like hypothetical. The, the, the kinds of things that you would be able to do wouldn't just be an extra uh, like 20 kilos of force worth. Like there would be a lot more potentially 
that you'd be able to do if you have that extra strength in the in the quadriceps, let's say. So there there are that that would be a kind of crude example, but um yeah, I, I find parkour to be such an interesting space because there's so much opportunity for kind of um in in a way kind of self-doubt um but at the same time kind of self uh self uh you know, some kind of connection to, to to truth to reality and there's this kind of immediate feedback of like do i feel that i can do this do i not feel like i can do it and then you can test that feeling quite quickly but you can also change the feeling um uh, yeah yeah that, that's awesome and drawing it into like i i'm relating this to like the american football world because we have a lot of american football like coaches listening but i'm talking about climbing you're talking about parkour but like american football world you have this um do you know who patrick mahomes is no no okay so he's like the number one qb like just flashed on the scene but his whole thing is like he break broke the traditional mold of like a qb and the way he throws the ball and the creative aspect in which he throws mm. the ball and he broke this mold and now you have offenses everywhere copying this mold and it was literally just yeah. one person that broke the mold of like how do you throw a football? How do you do this? How do you run an offense? So like, what are you capable of? And now you have everybody say, like physically, everybody's doing the same things. And obviously he's very physically gifted as well. Yeah. And then like you, you just, it's, it's the perfect storm of like a massively physic, physically gifted specimen with somebody that broke the creative mold. And that's something that's, mm -hmm parkour you mentioned is super ripe for it because there's so many opportunities to do that where there's so many opportunities to do it in the American football world and American team sports mm -hmm. world as well. But we are so boxed in with the knowledge. You talked about like that knowledge that almost chains you to what, you know, yeah. what American like parkour, not that parkour is new, but parkour is newly popularized. So it's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's less knowledge is almost tying you down. Whereas these American sports are like 50 to hundred years old with like, big wigs in place of like rules 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 like knowledge right, knowledge, yeah. knowledge like they're this protecting is the way to their go. jobs protecting uh, your jobs protecting their, yeah. like well, yeah exactly all of that so it's like you're almost even more tied down so you talked about one of the things you talked about is like you, you can change that perspective and, and like i'm interested in almost like that that how aspect of how you are going about either with yourself or with your athletes or with the with the people yeah. that are coming to you for your course how are you changing that perspective or how are you working on that perspective to really free that mind from free the mind from the fear free the mind from that change yeah. that knowledge of in the boxes that we already know yeah man so like i i work with a series of principles that could be described as predictive processing so that's a cognitive science field that studies how the brain is an agent of prediction and um like error correction um so to get to give a little bit of context there um i I'm sure you know Strong Fit, and maybe some some of the listeners will as well. Um, a guy called Julian Pino, who's I think a sort of slightly maverick dude, but um, he he works with a lot of principles from a guy called Carl Friston, who's this um, yeah cognitive scientist. Uh, started off as a uh, psychologist working with patients um, in in a, in a mental asylum. I think back in the back in the day when those were still running in the United Kingdom. Um, by someone who was working with people, but I think is a very sort of analytic type who probably naturally wouldn't be working with people, if you understand what I mean, like someone who's more kind of numbers driven. But anyway, so, so someone who started off in this kind of field, then later moved to a more like computational mathematics um, perspective of, of psychology. Um, a lot of strong fit principles run on, on, on his work. I saw that he was lecturing in... 
in London, where I'm from, uh, about five years ago. And so I so I dipped into the lecture in uh, King's College and um, just got like totally blown away by, by his work on something called the free energy principle, which is like the worst name for what it is, because it makes everyone think of like Nikola Tesla and like spiritual vibes like this kind of thing so it's like a really horrible name for what it is but um it's, it's, it, it's sort of famously hard to explain so we probably won't have time to like go too deep down that rabbit hole but basically it's the the notion that every organism to survive has to continuously minimize uncertainty and to do that it has to maximize what it expects is going to happen uh, and so that that gives us image of um, every living organism is building a, a, an internal model of the world, including like predictions about what's going to happen, what my environment is like, what I need to pay attention to uh, in order to you know fulfill my homeostatic goals, this kind of thing. So we're constantly building uh, beliefs about the world. Um, and through this process, of sampling the world we move in the world and we use that movement to as a, as a kind of feedback loop to we move we you know we act we sense and then we we act again depending on what we sense and then we move and we act and we move and we act so, so we're, we're, we're constantly in this kind of sensory sampling loop uh, and it's this process is is part of what forms our beliefs about the world so to give an example if you have someone who is like uh, to, 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 get, yeah, to give a personal example, I, I was climbing um, with a with a friend's uh, movement group, and there was a girl that he he pointed out who was very strong, very physically strong, um, but had hypermobile joints. And whenever she went above head height, she would like completely lock up, and wouldn't be able to climb like a V two, despite being like V five like strength. And, you know, you could say like, oh, no, like, you, you know, push through, push through. But her, her experience is that if she falls, her hypermobility is such that her ankles will literally pop out of place. So, so her, her the, the, the belief that her, um, the belief that she is unsafe in that instance is something that came from the sensory sampling of past experiences, falling, you know, breaking the ankle, this kind of thing. So we're constantly moving, sensing, and then building these beliefs, using this movement in the world as, as evidence to, to, to ward a particular belief. Um, the, it, it gets kind of interesting when we think about, um, it's, it's not just that we're uh, forming new beliefs, you know, every, every moment of every hour, every, uh, every, every second, because that would be extremely inefficient. You know, like when you when you see a toddler or a puppy like walking down the road, they're just like they're enchanted with the world and it's beautiful, but it, they they they're not famous for their productivity, you know. Um, so it's it's there's a kind of trade off between the 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 presentness, you know, being with the present sensory evidence of 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 your of your uh, of your body, and building these stereotypes that will help you to navigate the world, help you to conserve your energy. So when we're talking about um, the, the question that you asked earlier, you know, how do you kind of move towards some some greater sense of psychological freedom? I think what we're what we're thinking about there is um, 
how much am I inferring from my past beliefs about this present thing? How much am I minimizing uncertainty? So that's what the free energy principle is, is that we minimize uncertainty by maximizing what we expect. It's asking ourselves the question, how am I minimizing uncertainty right now by maximizing what I expect to happen based on my past experiences or my perceptions? Um, so I think that really, uh, according to Friston, like it's really the most fundamental principle of life, which is kind of a big statement, right? But that means that it's at the bottom of everything. So any single you know, teaching experience, you, 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 if, if once you understand the, the, the principle or, or the relative, the, the relevant principles, you can see uh, FEP somewhere in the interaction. That doesn't, of course, mean that you can, you know, change the interaction. But um, the, the, well, this yeah. this is some no, no, no. That 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 rant was perfect. That that mm -hmm. rant. This is some deep, deep level thinking that I want to touch on with you, and that that's where it's. I love when the podcast. Sometimes this podcast goes like just just pretty surface yeah, level, 100%. like stories and fun. It's oh, awesome, okay. and then sometimes we are got diving <laughs> deep down. And I I love the balance between that. That's what I love about this podcast. You never know which way you're gonna go. Cool. Uh, so this is awesome. So this reminded me a lot of like the book uh, I just read is Thinking Fast and Slow, and it's like the the system mm -hmm. one, system two. It's like your system one is the fast thinking brain. It, it tries mm -hmm. to, and it, it, and he mentions the same things that you mentioned. It's like, it, it's making these quick assumptions of everything that you see um, and yeah. trying to like create this perfect model of the world. So you're super confident in where you're going in, but what he's saying, and it's super beneficial because same reason you mentioned, it's like, it's saving you all the energy you And for the most part, it, it is for the most part, it is right. Like it, it is right for the way that you're living your life. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's, it's 90% of the time going to lead you down the right pathway, mm -hmm. but it makes you, almost overconfident in this understanding it's like you're, you're ignorant to your ignorance of the world because like yeah. you're just blindly walking around because the system one is just making these assumptions over and over again yeah and he talks about trying to set your way your brain up in a way in which your system two brain your, your slow thinking brain your your the questioning brain that you brought up it's like am i drawing off assumptions or am i in this moment thinking about what's actually happening and yeah. so my my original question and he talks about like what you see is all there is and kind of the <laughs> thing that i'm interested in is how do you break out of what you see and like you, the like you have these glasses on and the, i talk about a lot of times like the brain like we download all these programs into our brain and i think of it like this supercomputer we download all these programs in our brain and we just run them and that's kind of the world that we see as these programs that we run into our brain how do you go about with your athletes or with yourself or just thinking about this of like, how do you break out of what you see? How do you take off the glasses of what you see, even if just momentarily just to get a different perspective or see what's actually there or get rid of these kind of biases or assumptions that you're making about the world to save the energy that are required? Um, how are you? How are you doing that? What's the process like for that? Is it is yeah. it the understanding of these principles? I found that helps me a ton is like, oh, this is what I'm doing right here. Like I, I'm saying these things, I'm thinking these things, but it's like, okay, like I'm like, that's almost just a program that's just running. And now that like I'm more, more self-aware about it, but I'm thinking about different processes in which like we can help our athletes or we can help ourselves in thinking about training this way and thinking about the, the mind this way. Yeah. For example, right now when you were speaking, cause this is an area that I'm, I'm so energized about, I started making notes. And it was very easy for me just now to refer to my notes and and to, and to try to say what oh yeah I was responding to this and to try to 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 kind of pull back to what I wanted to say uh, in in that moment. But I think that um, if 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 the question is that up uh, up relying on this fast thinking intuitive system will inevitably uh, take us in the wrong direction at some point, is the question then that we can shift to this. Uh, type two um, 
laborious, effortful, slow thinking. I like that's uh, I'm not not that that was the question that you're posing, but I think this is a question that a lot of people ask themselves after reading Thinking Fast and Slow is that it's clear that the type one fast thinking has a lot of errors embedded in it or a lot of um, uh, ways of, of yeah, making mistakes embedded in it. Uh, can I then shift to this slow thinking? And, and, and I think that you you sacrifice a lot by opting for this slow thinking. Um, and, and, I, and I would describe what you sacrifice as the more implicit and intuitive way of relating to the world. And I think that would cross over to both movement and like social emotional tasks. So within movement, um, a lot of the something that I've also studied a lot is the unconscious from both a, like cognitive science perspective, but also from a kind of like Jungian perspective, just to see what's going on there. Um, but we'll stick to what we can measure for today. <laughs> um, the uh, in in terms of so, so like part of what we experience is conscious insofar as we can like directly pay attention to it. Like I'm conscious right now of your face. Uh, I'm conscious of sort of what I'm saying, but I'm not exactly conscious of where it's coming from. It's kind of just popping out. Uh, I'm not exactly conscious of. Um, uh, why I suddenly looked over there, you know, my dog is like chilling in the corner. Maybe that's why. Um, so there's this constant kind of back and forth, not even back and forth, more just like a kind of double overlay. There's this little bit of uh, conscious stuff. And then there's like a hell of a lot of unconscious stuff, you know, making my heartbeat, making all of this uh, internal stuff happen. A, a lot of that is uh, in, in the context of movement and uh, social emotional stuff is regulated by the cerebellum, which is like the little brain uh, underneath the, the, the uh, cerebrum. So it really, you know, it really looks like just like a little, tiny little brain, right? Um, going, going back to the, like the, the free energy stuff, like the, the cerebellum is um, largely involved in collecting, it's, it's, it basically has two functions, which is like learning and performance. Um, and it's, it's basically like an unconscious system that just like feeds out what we, what it, what it thinks is like the optimal way of doing something. So when I reach out to the camera here, I'm doing it in a way that my cerebellum perceives as the optimal way, like the least wasteful way. And there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a bit of variation there, but, um, if I have a, a healthy cerebellum, which I hopefully do, um, then I'll, I'll reach in like more or less of a straight line. If I have an unhealthy, like a like degraded cerebellum or I haven't been moving a lot, then I'll, I'll probably reach in this kind of more like jagged, jagged line. This, the, the, there's this kind of constant uh, unconscious function that's like, yes, it's reliant on past experiences, but it's giving us what it thinks is the kind of optimal answer to the situation. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it's going to be very useful in what is fam what, what kinds of situations are, are familiar to us. So what I would think of as a closed feedback loop, um, a, a kind of exaggerated example would be something like cup stacking. You know, the sport, or I don't know if you call cup stacking a sport, but where you have like I don't know, 20 cups and you're trying to make them into like a little castle and then like put them away. Um, that would be like a closed feedback loop. There's no wind, you know, There's I don't think that they have like competitors being like, hey, you're a piece of shit. Like, fuck you. Like, I hope you fail. 
you know, like this kind of thing, maybe, maybe then it's like a little bit more open, but like more or less cup stacking would be an example of like a closed feedback loop. Like you move and then straight away you gain information. So your, your, your cerebellum is constantly learning. Um, uh, and then you can constantly use that information to, to move and you can become like ridiculously efficient. Like if you watch a video of like elite cup stackers, you know, it's really like, it's like they're sped up. It's like, it's unbelievable. And so you can't quite do that to the same extent when you have a sport that's like more adaptive. So like American football, when you have like, you've got wet grass, maybe you've got like fucking massive guy, like running at your side, like all of this kind of stuff. Like you can't make the same kinds of um, predictions based on past experiences. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that, um the the slow thinking is going to be useful for for situations where you you don't have access to that kind of feedback and i think that's where you see a lot of people who are maybe more intuitive naturally or like they're more they're more reliant on that kind of system that they they sometimes slip up in these in these moments where you 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 you're you're making a decision where the impact can be felt like further down the line maybe you don't have access like buying a house or investing in in a stock or something like this like you, you you can't infer based on your past experiences how it's how it's going to go but um there's an interesting uh, contradiction as well i think between the kind of two things that i've said there in, in, in so far as like the the intuition is is like the, the the fast thinking is often based on the past experiences and there's a kind of there's something beneficial in in allowing that system to move forward but then at the same time, what I was saying in the very beginning is that um, if we're constantly operating based on on knowledge and based on knowledge of the past, then we're also maybe at times um, uh, keeping ourselves away from the future. Um, so there's, there's an interesting tension there. And that's something I've explored a little bit within um, like specific uh, interoceptive signals. So for example, like we all know that when we're on the edge of something, we all know what happens in our body, which is that our heart starts to beat a little bit faster. And so that's something that can be used within a training context to register that you're uh, at an intuitive level. There's something that you feel might be possible. So you can actually use that signal to navigate, basically. So if you think about parkour, it's like very, very open. There's like a hundred million things you can do. You, you just go to a spot and you're like, fuck, what do I do? Um, you can actually use these interoceptive signals uh, plus a little bit of you know imagination, visualization to navigate, assuming that you're you're training in this more kind of open way. Um, but yeah, so that's something that yeah, I, I love that. And that, that that's the, the this this so this is something I want to play with or like just have a thought process experiment with you um and see see kind of your your how your brain ties this in but it's like it's almost like a role as coaches is because so it's like it what i see all the time is like winners win in in team sports and it's like they they started off when they're five years old and maybe they had some sort of advantage maybe it was just luck um and and they started to excel at sports so they excel at sports they they, they tell themselves like their past story their past experience what they run off based off intuition what they run off base uh, this system one is they're a winner they know how to win they win sports and you see these guys massively progress 
Um, and then you see the the other spectrum, and I think this is where coaches and and even with the winners win, it's like in certain situations, if that winner loses or it's like under pressure, they've lost before. Then they run the system of I've lost before under pressure. Hmm. They get tense, you know, like they run through, and then you see these super clutch guys run. And this is where it's like it's almost like there is luck involved. It's like maybe it was just the first time you were under pressure and it was a close game. You got lucky and you won, and now you tell yourself I'm a clutch player. You run through this kind of thing, and yeah. in parkour, maybe it's I made that jump in this clutch situation. This yeah, windy Yes. And then you tell this story and you continue to tell the story. And then that's what the system runs. And this is the feedback loop that you start to create. What I'm interested in as a coach is how do you break the feedback loop when the past experience they're drawing upon is not what we want them to draw upon because it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, that person dropped the pass in a clutch moment. That person didn't make the jump in the clutch moment. And when everybody was watching and then they, they, they grab onto this feedback loop and that's the feedback loop that they create. Is it it, like you talked about visualization. I, I know that's a big part of it. And like visualizing yourself, like creating that feedback loop of visualizing yourself. You did make it, you did do this. And also one thing that I do in my gym uh, specifically with my training is like better experiences, like in the moment, uh, somebody, maybe it's somebody we talk about this all the time, somebody that's not used to scoring, not used to winning. We're going to either maybe put them on a better team or um, put them in a situation in which they are going to score. So they can start to mm-hmm. tell themselves the story of I am a scorer. I am a winner. We are starting to we're starting to create this mm-hmm. kind of feedback loop. And, and it's pretty crazy because the other thing you talked about is like we don't want to go system two in sports like that. That's another mm-hmm. big part of it. Like if you go system two in sports, that's where you get into the mindset of like the super technical model in American like in American sports where it's like they teach sprints of like knees here, arms here. Yeah. And you running like this robot and they're always so much slower it's like Mm -hmm. you want to stay in this ape brain system one thought process emotional goal driven exactly yes and like just let let that ape in you come out and you see these athletes that are just able to do it but when you're in that system one thought process running bad stories like you're running i am a loser i i I lose in these situations like you know so that's like i want to keep them in system one but change that system one story that Mm. tell themselves how how do you go about that what what do you grab on that what do you think about that yeah such a cool question I think that the um, variety plays a big role in how we relate to the world, like the variety of problems that we can solve, the variety of um, movements that we can produce. So that, that that's kind of my first thought there is if I had someone who's having this kind of bad track record, like at one level, it might be that there's like, uh, like a cold hand. I know that Kahneman speaks about the hot hand bias, like this kind of thing. And you're kind of saying that there is a hot hand bias. And I would agree that there is like, once you get into a, a role, like it does kind of keep going. And I think he says that it's not a real thing, but I, I definitely feel like it's a real thing. Anyway. um, um, so, so let's say you have someone who's in this kind of like cold hand streak, this kind of cold streak of like, they, they kind of keep on losing. Then um, yeah, I think at one level you could address it. At, 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 you, you could address it at that level of of the the losing, and you could try and pull them more into this like winning mindset. But I think, yeah, being able to solve a variety of of tasks, like maybe stripping it back to, it's 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 it's, it's really. It, it, I think one of the problems that I think you're really attending to is that it, it's quite difficult to generate chaos in an organized way. Um it's difficult to put someone in a situation where they're solving problems on the go um, that are really relevant to their sport um, in, in a kind of systematic way. It's almost like contradictory. Um, but I think there are ways of approaching that. And I think their variety can be a, a, a powerful way. So 
um, giving tasks where the um, where, where the intention is to um, for for example, like so. So my my training at the moment is it's a bit of like both ends of the spectrum. Like I'm doing my strength work, but then I'm also practicing with my wife, who's a contemporary dance um, hero. Um, so one of the tasks that I, I've been doing with her is like um, three levels: one standing on one leg, and it's just moving one uh, articulation at a time. So for example, like bending the support knee. Um, everting the the floating knee pointing the foot flexing the foot da -da 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 -da. moving to two articulations at a time so i'm i'm uh bringing my knee up i'm flexing my hip down uh, at the same time and then trying to then overlap these things so this is one little task that i've found immediately has given me a slightly different um uh a slightly different set of options but this would just be one example, right? So I think that um, thinking about the the variety, yeah, the kind of movement options um, and, and increasing that variety, and that could look like flexibility work, perhaps. You know, is there a range of motion that this person's actually really uncomfortable with? Um, I can imagine in, in, in because again, we're, we're um, as predicting brains, we're constantly making guesses about what's about to happen. So if I predict, or rather if my hip predicts that if I like put a lot of force into it in abduction, it's gonna uh, I'm gonna like tear something or it's you know it's gonna get hurt, then I'm going to avoid doing that. So that that would be another way of approaching that would be um I think particularly with like abduction, I find that that's something that a lot of um Western males are, are not good at <laughs> for whatever reason. Um, so that would be another way of just sort of looking at where, where are these weak links and, you know, strengthening the hell out of them and, and looking at that kind of context of where can I create more optionality? Um, and that one more thing, um, that I've been playing with recently, is really the, the ability to like inhibit your response. Um, so I've been working with, uh, recently someone who is like really, developmentally like quite like arrested let's say so like that they didn't move for since they were like 12 years old and now they're like 45 so they're really like like not an athlete let's say um and observing her as we do some of these these games and um, movement tasks if, if i throw a ball to her as soon as she sees it she'll like reach at it right so there's like no ability to inhibit the movement. And so I think that that's one of these kind of systems that I mentioned earlier, that's like really fundamental, uh, really deep. Um, in, 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 and by deep, I mean, it has this like resonant effect is, is that ability to inhibit your, your motor response. So that, that could also be something interesting, you know, from a systems perspective to look at that kind of like, um, what kind of movement variety do I have? What kind of capacity to, like, can I wait for a ball to get like really, really, really close and then catch it, for example? Or do I, do I like reach out to it like a little bit spastically? Or can I like actually inhibit? Um, and, 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 uh, yeah, this kind of, uh, this kind of question could be, is, is that something that you've thought about before in, in the context of like, uh, inhibition 
and uh, and and sports. Yeah, well, the the big thing that I I draw drew from what you were talking about is is that movement variability I see all the time, especially in American football world where it's like their movement options are so constrained to their sport. And mm. the training that they, yeah. they've been grown up on is so constrained to perfecting their sport. Optimization that, is a killer, isn't it? Yeah. And it, optimization, specialization. And it's like they're, they're just missing so many of these things. So you mentioned talking about like unable to go into a certain position. So then they totally avoid that position. One of the big things, like just a straight up example, I, I realized is like tumbling was a big one for our football mm. guys. It's like uh, you're running at people full speed. Yeah. You're going to fall. You're going to get like yeah. all these things. And one of the things that we realized is like when we were doing it, they used to, when they were falling, a lot of these athletes, they would, they would fall and they would just brace with their hands and throw their hands out. Um, and, and like, not, not a very great way to fall. Like they would just like shoulders would not feel good hands, like yeah. messing themselves up. Uh, and one of the things that we started to implement is like tumbling, rolling, just bending their spine, n- yeah. allowing their bodies to know like they can go into that position. Like you mentioned, like they're, they, they're able to go into that position. They're able to pray. Okay. If I'm falling, I can go into this position. And what we saw almost instantly is like, they would go as soon as they're starting to fall on the field. Now they're rolling out of it. They're rolling out yeah, of it, standing yeah. back up on their feet, like they're transferring energy. Yeah, and it yeah. all like there was no big phys- like there was no big physical change in it. Mm-hmm. All it was was like I, I really like the way that you mentioned it. it was just like their brain knowing it was okay to go there. And when this mm-hmm. situation happens, what they're going to draw upon is that oh I can roll out of this rather than brace with the hands, yeah. which is which was something that I really really thought was cool. Yeah, it's ex- exactly what I'm doing with the Beyond Fear work is working with options, working with. Uh acrobatics working with the ability like can i take my arm overhead and really lead my body in this different direction so that suddenly i'm i'm, I'm going from falling this way and then i am able to reorient um yeah i i love this uh this image of the the field of prediction that you have you know, in your your uh if you if you think about now as a listener what movements are available to you if you just if you just take a second to relax and you and you visualize what movements are most uh kind of proximal what are the what are the most available movements to you pretty much everyone is going to first you know would be like leaning forward to stand up and then maybe like leaning to the side and then maybe just like pushing from the legs um but i the the more we can uh, expand that field of prediction to encompass the capacity like twist can i can i you know can i come to the side and then transversely twist off both you know uh, dorsally ventrally can I move in all of these different ways? I, I think we're, yeah, we're, we're just getting rid of this like fragility of optimization. And, and this is something that really played out in parkour. And, and I was uh, a big victim to, to optimization in, in the sense that I, I trained a lot of um, like precision work. So something that I really focused on was a um, precision jumps. So like jumping from point to point, like usually landing on something quite small and like just trying to progress by doing like bigger and bigger jumps. And then also something called a lache, which is like a swinging movement, um, where, you, where you, you, know, you, you you do a big fucking swing and swing off and, and land on something, and then usually like to to a precision. And um, because these movements are quite constrained, they're they're almost a little bit more like cup stacking on that kind of spectrum between like um, I don't know what the most like chaotic sport would be. Let's say I don't know whatever um, on on that spectrum between like a really chaotic sport and like cup stacking precision work is like a little bit more towards cup stacking right because you're you, you can really optimize like you you're, you're really having the same kinds of inputs again and again it's like fairly predictable um but yeah i spent a lot of time like with swinging in particular like really focusing on 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 laches and really like 
I, I, and I still love it. Like you can get like freaky power um, by using angular velocity in the right way. So by like swinging up at the back and then stretching out, like pushing away. If you imagine like you're, you're, you're swinging like back and up and then you push away from the bar. And then as you swing forward, like before you let go, you're like pushing away. So you, you create all this length with your body and then you flex your knees so that your body gets shorter. And then you get this like massive velocity boost. And so you can just get this like crazy power and it's like really beautiful. So I really love, uh, still really love this kind of movement, but you're, you're optimizing. You're, you're just like, you're drilling the same thing again and again and again. And um, it, it, it just, it, it can like ab obliterate the options that you have. So yeah, I think this capacity to, um, yeah, what, what basically when you see someone, uh, if you're Pasha the boss, who was like a Russian or Latvian kid, who's like exploded, he's like married uh, Riley Reed. <laughs> he's this dude, but he's like one of the best movers in the world, right? He's got um, so many options available to him that he could put himself into a blender, you know, and just and just pop right out of it. Um, to such a, a cat-like capacity. And so I think, yeah, like what, what you're saying resonates so much for to, to teach people. I love the idea of teaching people in a team sport like American football to have that adaptive capacity to expand expand that field of predictions, something so so powerful. Yeah, and you talk about like having the options to be like the cat and almost like funneling that into, because what, what you say, one of the things that I love, you, you have this like yin and yang approach to skill development. And you, you talked about this on a po your post. You're like, I have an obsession, I think you said, like, with the technical aspect. Like, I'm yeah. hopelessly, uh, you said, hopelessly fascinated by the role of physics and movement. Yeah. Um, and so, like, you talked about, like, basically, you are perfecting, you have perf not perfected, but you're, you, you spent a ton of time perfecting, you were very proficient in the technical model. And what you would lack in is this, uh, like the deeper adaptations, the, 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 yeah. this maybe more the physiology, maybe more mm, like just yeah, straight exactly. power, maybe more the straight movement options. And mm. that's something I've been really fascinated with recently. And a lot of coaches have come on recently and talked about it is like you, you and because one of the things you mentioned is like that guy that's like adaptable, like a cat and is just crazy, explosive and powerful. Like that's a huge benefit. But then that person probably needs to work more of that technical side and and finding that balance between the two of like. You, you like because I would say I'm more like that that power based guy and I need to mm -hmm. go back to like maybe some technical stuff with mm -hmm. maybe some of my sports like sports American football was a big one where like I just outpowered everybody out speed like everybody yeah. and like maybe if I just spent some time on the technical model of my sport I needed to work this and then you have the other end of it it's like this guy has no power no speed no movement options and he just needs to like increase those but he has so many like technicality very, uh, like, very union uh very union what you're saying the uh unity of opposites like yes so. yes so how do, how do you go about approaching that with like with with your clients and with your with your athletes of like because i i loved like that quote that you had on your post is like and perhaps the other way around if that's all you do like you, you're looking yeah. at both sides of it like you're looking at the way you look at it but it's like that that's not it for everybody like you you need to look at both sides of it how are you looking at, at that with your athletes in the in the the skill development realm yeah so the the, the coaching process for me it really starts with meaning you know, it really, it really starts with connecting to the why people are doing what they're doing. Um, so we do uh, a process that I've um, developed based on like shadow work principles. So shadow work is like, it's kind of a second generation Jungian idea um, of like a lot of what we see makes some kind of statement about what's going on internal to us. So we don't quite see the world as it is. We see it as we are. Uh, and it's asking questions 
that help reveal the specifics of this kind of relationship of how my perceptions are manifest of, of things that are internal to me. So for example, we think about the question of like, who is it that you admire? Uh, and think about other are, are, are there qualities within the the people that you admire that you can uh, abstract into something that you actually want to move toward for yourself. So if I think about that in the context of movement, um, yeah, my, my friend uh, Aaron, I think is someone who I really admire. He's got this like very intelligent approach, like very strong, very acrobatic, very athletic. Um, and then I could spend my time like chasing, like to be like him or something like this. But then I could also abstract the quality, and I can and I and I can think about how that relates to who I am and who I you know, want to be, need to be, uh, need to become. Which would be someone who's a bit more organized, you know, who's a, a clearer communicator, perhaps. So, I, so there's a lot to to reveal in these um, observations of the, uh, in these um, uh, in, in these feelings that we have. Yeah, about what other people are doing. There's always something kind of implicit about about us. So it's kind of uncovering these uh, almost randomly strong feelings, and then digging a little bit into what these mean for the, both the the, the the positive creative stuff, like who do you admire, but then also the kind of like you know what just like absolutely like fucks you off, like what pisses you off, and then how can how can we relate to this? Because the the and, and also things like um you know who would you become if your worst habits took over, which is a, a question I took from from Jordan Peterson. Who's also, you know, doing a lot of this kind of kind of work. Um, so there's a lot of creativity also within the kind of negative aspect. But yeah, so, so to go back to the original question, um, for, for me, it would start with, yeah, connecting to the to the why. What does this person want to achieve? Um, how can we anchor the training to um, these uh, strong feelings, basically? Uh, th th this this uh, like um, if if there's something internal to you that wants to express itself, like there's something um, in 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 the same way that like physically, if I like cut my arm, it's gonna like heal back. Is there something psychologically that wants to kind of make itself whole? Like that's the kind of union question. Um, so it it starts with trying to connect to this. Um, this uh uh this state that wants to to self-organize which is what Jung calls self with a capital s um so yeah if, if we can tie these things together like the, the 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 path forward within the context of movement like like strength work for example or flexibility work um questions the original questions totally totally gone from my mind can <laughs> t take me back on track please and then i'll, I'll uh no problem. That, I, again, I I, love, I don't don't worry about these these rants. These these are exactly. There's so many good nuggets in these rants. Don't yeah. worry about my question. Just keep going on these rants. These are good. Uh, I was <laughs> talking about that that yin and yang approach to skill development. And you you right. kind of tied that into the union like union approach to like what's trying to express itself and grabbing things from from other people. Like, and I I thought that was really cool. Is like looking at the person like and and what are the attributes that you want to grab from them, and then totally like changing yourself. It's like what are the attributes that you want to grab, and then going forth um towards them. And that's something that I think you can do physically as well too. It's like 
you, you look at maybe, maybe I'm a squattier, more compressive based athlete. And I look mm -hmm. at like a lot of elastic based athletes that can just jump through the roof and I look at them and it's like, that's, that's like that, that's what I don't have. And it's what I like expire to be. I'm grabbing onto those mm -hmm. pieces, but not trying to grab onto them in a way. Cause you see a lot of this is like, you grab onto it in a way. And if I train like that athlete or I do what that athlete does, exactly. I don't have what that athlete does, you know, like I yeah. don't have those attributes, but I want to, I want to grab like the elasticness i want to grab the athleticism and then yeah. go towards those things but train and kind of keep it within my own body which is something that i i i kind of piece together in what you were saying nice yeah perfect yeah the quality rather than the the person themselves like you know trying to become someone else you're recognizing who you are and who you want to 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 uh, how you want to develop yourself it's so easy to get lost on these paths of uh you know optimizing yourself to be like to be like liver king or to be like uh <laughs> You know, Aaron or someone like this. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that the um, you mentioned the kind of yin yang approach, and I think that's something that's interesting as well. Like um, the, I think a big part of learning is um, sensitivity, right? Like sensitivity to um, uh, very small differences within positions of the body within learning a movement. So if I'm learning. Um, or, or within the coordination, the body, the timing of uh, timing of the arm swing, something like this. Um, there's this beautiful principle called the Weber-Fechner law, which is like the inverse relationship between intensity and sensitivity. So basically, the more intensity of an of of a, of a stimulus, the less sensitive we are to small changes in that stimulus. So to give a concrete example. If I'm holding a Olympic bar and a butterfly lands on it, I'm not going to be able to sense that anything has changed. I'm not going to be able to feel in my hands that any change of weight has occurred. But if the butterfly lands straight on my hand, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll feel a slight difference in, in weight. And that can be owed to the difference in the overall intensity of the experience. So if we think about that in the context of learning, what often happens is that people try and muscle through. Um, and what needs to happen is um, the sensation that uh, it, what might need to happen is like a reduction of intensity that would allow the the person to actually focus on the on on the sense on the relevant sensation. So for example, like a back handspring and so, so that you were learning um it's, it's very easy to kind of like muscle through um like just kind of like send like send the movement but then it can be really helpful to for example to take like a uh like a series of like stacked up mats or one of these like special like gymnastic kind of like half like semicircles like soft semicircles that you can then practice like crouching down and then like letting the knees come forward and like opening the hips and like like slowing the movement down so that you can actually feel what, what has to happen. And then that sensation lends itself to, to action. Um, in, in the same way that kind of drawing a map allows you to, to follow the map. That's how I see the kind of relationship between sensation and actions. Like the more, um, the more you can feel something, the more precisely you can act. Um, so for, for, for example, uh, like tying your shoelaces with gloves on can be quite difficult because you don't have the the sensory feedback of where your you know where your hands are 
so in the same way, developing greater sensitivity um, is is really the, one of the fundamental parts of of learning and coordination. So that that you know when you say when you say yin yang, when I think of the the yin, like the the, the feminine, the, the the receptive, that's what comes to mind for me is that um, capacity to uh, like put the ego to the side a little bit like slow down and that and that in itself can be really challenging with people right like i'm I'm sure you've experienced this um where you've got a task that someone like kind of doesn't want to do because it might require them to like take a moment back like to take a step back Um, and you can see as a teacher that it would be super beneficial for them to like take one step back so they can take like 10 steps forward but they really struggle to like go slow um, and and that's usually that's usually dudes. So yeah, I think that that's a really interesting relationship, allowing those moments of, of where, where the focus is just on like sensation, on on receptivity, rather than just like pure action. And then that's like if you look at the best, uh, like the most skilled people in any sport, like I I think I don't really know anything at all about American football, but you can tell me. Um, but definitely within parkour, the people who are like truly the most skilled, like not just the best at like sending, but like really the most skilled that are often extremely uh sensitive and and for me that means that they're able to move in very fine increments so they're not just like boom, 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 kind of like chunking around but they can really make these like very fine differentiations um and i think that really comes from the from the capacity like in, in a way it comes from um some like deeper physiological stuff like the the base um uh one perspective on, on on motor learning which i think is like not super current but i think it's also quite useful is that it, like that vague effect in the law is playing out on the level of um uh, like muscular tension so the more tension you hold on a tonic level the harder it's going to be for you to sense these smaller differences uh, and and I think there's something there like that can be something really useful. But I also see a lot of like not a lot, but I, you see people in the kind of somatic realm, like going quite far down that road of like really trying to let go of all the tension. And it's like no, like you know, you want to be like you still want to be active. I think so. That would be the, the where the, the yin and the yang comes in. I think where, where you have like because it's 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 easy to then try and optimize for the yin, you know. Um, and then you're just like so focused on being as soft as possible. And I think that can be as detrimental as, as optimizing for anything else. So um yeah, for me, that that would be the 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 yeah, everything has its kind of shadow in a way. So there's a kind of the shadow, there's a the kind of darker side of um optimizing for sensation. And you, you also see the darker side of optimizing for action where people don't really take that moment to reflect on maybe like how they're doing something or, or why they're doing it. So yeah, yeah, that, that's that's freaking awesome. There, there's so many. I love these rants. These are so good. These are so good because <laughs> you talk about like you talk about uh, the, the American football world and the baseball world. You mm. see it all the time. Is like mm. these like they're throwing the ball 100 miles an hour and it looks like just like a rubber band. Like everything's just oh, snap. Yeah, like, you know. And and you have yeah. like me, like my big meathead going up there, like like tensing the ball, like trying to use everything and it's going like yeah. 70 miles an hour. You know, really? like and. One of the things I was like, it's like almost you have to like almost take the goal away in a session to achieve the goal. You know, like you have, you have to take that step back, like you mentioned, to take the ten steps forward. And 
I really like that you mentioned like you can definitely because this is one thing I talk about too is like it's not about being like I talk about like the movement yogi you know like it's not about being soft mm-hmm. all the time and being in yeah. that yin all the time and not just trying ever like it's just exposing and like giving the athlete yeah. the ability or giving the person the ability to feel what that effort effortless like and goalless kind of like practice and just I, I talk about flow a lot like that that state of just movement you know like just flow and just be and you, you see it you see it kind of coming up in the baseball and football world with throwing it's just like they'll, they'll do this these, these relaxed throws with their arm where it's like almost like a rubber band with their arm and they're yeah, just throwing beautiful. just like that nice and relaxed uh one of the things we do with like with our athletes like five to ten minutes on a clock we'll just have them uh, some like uh a lot of times we'll go back to gymnastics but just being on the ground and being soft on the ground either a mm-hmm. crawl or a roll soft on the ground um maybe it's just like um some movement um with the hips or just standing and flowing side to side for like five to ten minutes but again it, it's just like trying to give them that spot to like just take the step back and like bring that sense i haven't thought about it in that sensitivity versus intensity but i really like that thought process and you're talking about like the butterfly and the barbell you know like because there's times like you talk about like if you're lifting that barbell and you are noticing the butterfly and the barbell it's you're probably not you know like that's probably not when you want to focus it but like when you're doing something else there there, it is option but it goes back almost to that movement option and movement ability to be able to go back and forth between the two practically what does that look like in your sessions like how do you break that down does it depend per athlete like okay this this person this person needs way more yin way more flow based movements and we're going to spend a ton of time or do you kind of have the structure of like exposing them to both of like but like practically what does that look like in your training sessions in your movement sessions and in, in, in your skill acquisition um sessions yeah so what what i, I kind of alluded there um when i was speaking to the weber fechner law like that intensity sensitivity relationship not being a super current theory of learning. What I was referring to there is that the dominant theory of learning now, I, as I understand it, is more about error correction. So as I, like I was speaking earlier about the uh, cerebellum, as I send, as my as my cerebellum like directs my movement forward, it has this kind of expectation that things are going to work out. And then if they don't work out, you know, then I experience an error. And, and, and my cerebellum will register that. And that might trigger learning or it might be like part of, yeah, it might be part of that learning process. Um, in the context of like what, why I think the Weber Fechner is, is still relevant is that if I'm super tense as I do, uh, as I like kick into a handstand, for example, am I actually going to be able to, to sense the, the, uh, the error? Possibly not. So um, there's a kind of critique of like, the very uh, very slow movement to, to learn something like that was that's a kind of like Weber Fechner based method of learning is that you really slow down so that um, you you have the opportunity to sense all of these little you know differences that's the theory in in practice the the criticism of that in practice is that you don't get the opportunity for error correction if you can imagine like um, if you're if you're throwing a, a ball and the coach is like, okay, I want you to like m- mime throwing the ball as slow as possible, mimic throwing the ball as slowly as possible, like you throw the ball as slowly as possible. Like maybe there's some value there, but um it it it's not close enough to the full thing that it it it, it probably doesn't give you the potential to like correct an error. In practice, like to give an example from a class yesterday where we were doing handstands, people who have been training for a couple of months, so they're like trying to kick kick into their first handstand, like hold it for a couple of seconds. And so there's one guy who was doing, um, he would kick up and then like change legs and then come back down. 
So he'd kick up with his right leg and then switch and then land on his left. And I said, just kick up and land on the same leg because there's going to be way less stuff happening and it's going to be a lot easier to sense in the body. So that, that would be an application of um, the Weber-Fechner law that's that's also integrating the the the, the, the brain's needs for error correction because if so and, and then there was also the specific task within that exercise of feeling the weight shift to the fingers and just feeling the hands because when you're doing a handstand right like you're, you're kind of oscillating between your palms and your fingers and get a lot of control on your fingers but people tend to start by just like pushing down as hard as they can so you don't get any of that sensitivity so it's trying to give the task of like kick up and then feel that you're like shifting to the fingers um, but when he was going up with the left and then switching to the right, the experience for the nervous system, there's just too much going on. Uh, so by just simplifying the movement, it's less intense, um, but there's still the potential for, for, for sensation, for, for making those kind of like little, little errors. I think that was a pretty concise answer. Yeah. I, I, I that was like, like my first, uh, concise, like I actually answered, <laughs> answered your question there, I think. That was a good. That was a good one. So, yeah, one thing I'm interested in before before I let you go here, you talk about teaching handstand classes, and you talk about um, working with that the, the athlete that was struggling that catch the ball, and you you're, you're implementing games and movements. What does kind of like the day to day like like what are your what do what are you training like who who do you train like what are you training like what does the day to day look like in in, in your kind of life and like what what's what's really the the goal in your sessions with, with you, with either your athletes or, or however you, I call all of my clients, athletes, I like a yeah. human athlete, like you're a human sure. athlete, but what are you, what is your, what does your session look like with your athletes? Are you, are you trying to teach it? You talk about this handstand class. Is that, is that a specific class or is it just movement class and learner learning skills? And what do these classes kind of look like? Do you, do you involve everything like the handstand class? We're also doing like strength work and we're doing parkour. Work. like, mm -hmm. what does that kind of look like? How, how does it all tie together? We, we have all these, massively deep thoughts that i'm excited to dive into how do you funnel that into like the day-to-day -day of like what does your class look like well who do you train or what are that what does that look like yeah so i, I don't work i don't work with any professional athletes i would love to work with some professional athletes if i can get my hands on any um so i'm working with uh civilian population I'm not sure how to describe we have four classes each week so I, I live out in croatia i'm from london but i got married and moved out here a little while ago uh, so we have four classes each week. Um, we run a parkour class, a strength class, hand balance class, and uh, like contemporary and movement class. Um, uh, I also run online coaching, um, some personalized stuff. So it's like the process that I mentioned earlier, where we start with the shadow work and then we move on to like individual coaching. Um, and then also some like modules where it's like pre-organized stuff like hey i want to practice like this thing or so like working with the precision archery concept so like working with uh precise uh landings basically within a parkour context or uh flow within a parkour context like these are things that i'm i'm offering i i think that to answer the question of like how do the how does the conceptual work bleed into the the practical work in, in, in a way in the design of the work but also in another way in knowing when to give space and when to allow people to self-organize like knowing what signals actually stimulate learning allows you to be like okay my my job is happening so i don't need to like do more 
I think the like the the impulse to be like, yes, that was great. That was good. Like as a coach, like you're kind of I don't know, are you trying to like control what's going on? Are you trying to just like insert like I, and I'm talking to myself right now because I always get really pumped up when people do stuff. But I also have to recognize that my positive reinforcement is actually often not doing what I think it is. It's actually often taking people out of their bodies and making them reliant on my feedback. But I want them to be reliant on their own error correcting that I've been talking about. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think n knowledge of how to organize exercises um, that will produce error correction and self-organization. And that, that includes things like rhythm. It's something I've been um, implementing a lot more recently, uh, which my wife has been helping me with a lot because she's a contemporary dancer and I have a little sense of rhythm. Um, but rhythm is really cool as well because it, it, you, you're generating like a, like an expectation and then it's very easy to sense like deviancies between what you expect and what you experience, which again triggers that kind of like surprisal error correction learning learning uh, cascade. I, I find it really uh, satisfying when it works, you know, when uh, when I'm able to go from that kind of like intellect into practice, like I find that to be very satisfying. Yeah, that that one of the things I really did that I'm super happy I asked that question because that was one of the things you, you talked about the positive reinforcement. It's, it's like I talked about this. The American football world is horrible with this. It's like oh, they they do want to control, like they want to coach, like they want to be the one that like I did this. It's like oh man, it's and it's like you did like you said like it. You even said like you said the positive was taking them out of their bodies and they're like starting to look for you and you see it horribly specifically in the high school to college age students right now. It's like everything they do. Like, and I, I'm a huge proponent. Like, I don't really, I like, I'm trying to let the environment, I try and I try to and tell them why I'm not telling them a bunch, but everything they do, especially when they first come in, they'll do it and they'll look, they do it and yeah. they look, they do it and yeah, they yeah. look. And it's like, right. no man, like what, what did you feel? Like how, how, what did that feel like to you? Did, mm -hmm. are you proud of that? Are you like, did that feel good? Did you accomplish the task at hands? How, mm -hmm. how do you go about a, approaching that and like coaching in the way of like where they actually they they know what's happening they don't get frustrated because a lot of people do want just it's it's like kind of like that dopamine hit that cookie from the coach that's like yeah like mm -hmm. i am like he is coaching i am doing it's like but self like how do you coach that self-empowerment thought process that self-organization process mm -hmm. um a lot of it for me is 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 results based it's like we're doing the, okay like look at where we were look how like it, mm -hmm. it's working you know like and you're doing it all by yourself you don't need me and like emphasizing the part like you don't <laughs> like you we're just i'm just building environments and i'm building this situation in which you can come in and, and explore these avenues and then kind of figure it out yourself but how do, how do you go about that because i know that's a hot topic in like the coaching world it's like well if, if they like if you're not saying anything, like, why are they paying you? Like, if you're not, it's mm -hmm. like, okay. So like, how do you approach that, 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 those comments and, and that thought process? Yeah. I think setting up tasks, uh, I've been using the double constraint rule, which I don't know if anyone else made up or if I made that up, but, um, which is basically just like, if you have one constraint, there's not always enough feedback. Like there's often a lot of space that you can, you can do things with. Um, when you have a, a second constraint, you, you're very often radically reduced in what you can do so giving a giving a task like for example um uh, something i'm really big on is is learning to uh squat without the hinge because a lot of people uh like basically when you start uh hinging back you're you're really reducing your moment of inertia sorry you're really increasing your moment of inertia which really reduces your 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 rotational options so learning to uh squat like from the knees so your body's your 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 uh your um like rotational circumference stays small is a really powerful way to 
maintain movement options basically so like you can say like hey like squat and stay upright and that would be like one constraint is like they're squatting but the second constraint of like balancing something on the head for example um that would offer you know, uh, that kind of natural natural feedback I, I think the um context of the class context of the training um the uh not 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 the context but the like the social environment makes such a big difference um that it's playful like you as a teacher are willing to show yourself like succeed and fail uh just and and and, and to do that with a smile you know that you're not like ah you you, you know it's getting frustrated like that's that's going to be the the first thing I would really would really address it would be like how are you as a leader presenting failure um, if you think about the, the the modeling of that kind of thing and then yeah I would think then then I would think about offering the right level of constraint the right level of task where people are you know succeeding most of the time and that's going to really vary between individuals like how much failure they can they can tolerate without experiencing frustration and then the last thing i would say would be that also the, the the context around like strong feelings um if you can convince someone that um frustration is this like super powerful neural neural modulator then that's like a superpower if you can convince someone that like the worst they like in a way i'm not sure quite how linear it is but i i think if you are a little bit frustrated like you're emotionally engaged with what you're doing you're you're potentially setting up a potent uh, 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 neurological learning environment. So I think if you can convince someone of that, then like that's a real gift for them, um, because then they can reappraise their like negative emotion cycle, rather than just being like spiraling downward out of frustration. They can be like, oh, this is actually a really meaningful experience. Yeah, that that last little rant was worth his weight in gold. It was worth this whole <laughs> podcast. That that was beautiful. And you talk about like eliminating, like succeeding most of the time. Or one of the things that I and you talked about this too is like eliminating, like eliminating an environment in which failure is viewed upon as like a bad thing, like the frustration. Yeah. You know, like we talk about that all the time. Like if you're frustrated, if you're failing, like it, learning is messy. Like it, it's me that that that's just telling me like you're on the process of learning or doing something new, or at least putting yourself out there to do it. Yeah. Uh, and you're going to self-correct and you're going to do it. But you talked about like, even like as a coach, it's like, you can't sit there and like, like I, I, you hear coaches all the time. It's like, they're not creative. They're stiff athletes. It's like, cause every time they step out of line or oh. do anything that isn't, you sit there and scream at them. Like, it's, of course, like they sit there and stuck in this box that you yourself yeah. created and you want them to magically break out of it. It's like, yeah, yeah. man, like the, the slot, like sometimes like, um, and I, I emphasize periods of it too. Cause I, I know at some point it, it's got to come back into like a pretty, it got to come back into a place. It's got to come back into um, like a parkour vault. So, like it's got to come back to like you succeeding. But in our training, man, like I, I want it. I want us to be able to deal with failure and, and have failure and be messy and like actually learn and go somewhere and, and like have that frustration piece rather than play this pretend game of like, look, I made it all look pretty. I made it all look perfect. Like, yeah, let's yeah. pretend this is going to transition to anything when, 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 uh -huh. when we know it's not. Yeah. It's something that I think parkour is, is getting a bit more of, but. What, what, when I grew up with parkour, it was very anti-competition. So the philosophy, which was, I mean, that's a whole other wild conversation that I would love to have about the the the, the, the deep and uh, totally unknown uh, history of, of parkour philosophy. 
Um, but um, the the kind of perceived philosophy when uh, kind of back in the day was that Hogwarts should, should not be com competitive. And, and I think there's a intensity of emotion, uh, an intensity of meaning that comes in competition that is super orienting for people, uh, super, super powerful as a source of meaning. And um, so that's something that I, I, I think can be, again, there's a shadow to that as well, because if you, if you get all of your orientation from competition, then you might not be connecting to something deep within you, you know, within what it, who it is that you want to, to become. So you might lose out on a lot. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I, I think um, there's a kind of uh, intensity of emotional experience that Parkour can lack at times. It doesn't always, it doesn't give you, or uh, it's, it's not quite right because it, it really varies so much, but maybe, maybe I'm talking about my experience actually. That's, I'll put it in that context. Uh, what I would love to do now is is to like compete because I think it would be such a great source of energy for me uh, because it's such a, a yeah an, an intense uh, intense environment like to really care about it to actually try to win uh, not just to be kind of like oh, okay I don't mind like I, I would love to be in that kind of environment. Well, and talking about Callum too, one of the things I, I started to really think about and since that talk because he he brought up the competition how they're trying mm -hmm. to like make it a competition, but it's almost like parkour athletes have been making it a competition in like okay like what are you, like they're making videos you know like so as much as it is for yourself like we were making videos we're, we're broadcasting this we're putting out so in some way it is kind of this competition aspect maybe i'm competing for more views more followers just more yeah. like coolness and it's you know so like that's a piece of it too is like that i find kind of the beauty in is it's like it is this competition piece of everybody pushing without like this this kind of imaginary organization that's running it. And where, again, there's shadows to both sides of it too. Cause mm -hmm. like the organization running, it gives you like tangible things to win. But one of the beauties of parkour is that other aspect of it. Like you are competing with other people in a way of that's like, okay, like what are we actually competing for? We're competing for ourselves. We're competing for this trick. We're competing for maybe views or followers or like growing a community. Like yeah. I think, I think that part is so cool, but that's coming from the shadow of the American football world where it's like, there is no competition for like self, you know, or creation, you know, it's, it's all competition for glory of like winning, a winning a game or winning the organization or, or winning yeah. the conference. Yeah, I'm grateful for the creativity that's implicit in parkour, and it's really rewarded as well. I think there's a lot of really good stuff about the parkour community. Um, yeah, and I think that re rewarding of innovation, rewarding of creativity, thinking outside the box is something really special. Yeah, not I love like it. solely for parkour, but uh, yeah, definitely there. Well, Coach, uh, I know we went went a little long here, but I want to thank you for the time. I thank you for this is one of the deeper podcasts we've had in a long time. I want to thank you for All coming right. on. A <laughs> pleasure, man. Thank you guys for listening. Keep chopping wood. Thank you for listening. Join us next week as we dive down another rabbit hole. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram at Austin Yoakum to stay updated on future podcast guests. Keep chopping wood.